Hello and welcome to Women Who Protect, a monthly series as part of the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast. In a profession largely dominated by men, we spotlight women working in a wide range of positions within security, protection, and law enforcement. We will hear their stories, discuss their accomplishments, and also seek their advice for women and girls who might be interested in a career in protection or security. I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo with Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. After nearly three decades of experience working in security and protection, as the chief research psychologist at the U.S. Secret Service, and then in the private sector, providing security guidance to corporations, educational institutions, and high-profile individuals, I know firsthand the immense value that women bring to this field. And I know the challenges that we face. I look forward to sharing with you the stories of women who protect and hope they inspire other women and girls to consider joining our ranks. Now, on to the podcast. Elena Forrest started her 29-year public service career back in 1983 at the Palo Alto Police Department, and she rose through the ranks to lieutenant. She was then promoted to the position of captain by joining the Los Gatos Montesoreno Police Department in 2000 and retired from there in 2012. She has spent the last 11 years in corporate security and currently leads global safety and security at Intuit. Previous roles included director of physical security in North America at Oracle, director of safety and security at Pixar Animation Studios, and director of training at Security Industry Specialists. She also co-founded the California Women Leaders in Law Enforcement Symposium, which began as a local partnership in 2006 and is now endorsed by multiple law enforcement associations with a national following. Elena, welcome to Women Who Protect. Thank you for having me. I want to start at the beginning. We, As I know you and I have, have talked about, the point of our podcast really is to help showcase the wide range of career opportunities within security, protection, and law enforcement, especially for women and girls, just help encourage people to come into our field. And looking at your background, you have an extensive experience in law enforcement, as well as security and and your private investigator's license. So take me back to when you first got into this field. How did you start? Well, I had uh, family members in law enforcement, and when I was a kid, I was able to witness, you know, the, all the good things about uh, the relationship between law enforcement and the small community I lived in. So that really got me interested in going into the profession. And I just, as I got out of high school, I went to college, got my degree, and then was hired very early on uh, at the ripe old age of 21 to start my law enforcement career. But it was really about just wanting to give back to the community. And I know there was a a lot of interviews I went through before I became a police officer that, you know, asked me, well, what do you, why do you want to do this? And it really was wanting to help the community and be able to give back. I have a strong volunteer background based upon my upbringing with my mom and um, just everything that I saw my family do was just really based in and rooted in the community and giving back and helping 
um, you know, anybody I could get into the profession as well. And I, I know you were with primarily with two different departments, uh, Palo Alto Police Department, and then you moved over to the Los Gatos uh, Monte Serena Police Department. What was your experience like when you made that transition to the second department? What were the differences and, and what did you get to do that you hadn't in the first part of your law enforcement career? Well, I rose to the rank of lieutenant at Palo Alto, and there really wasn't going to be any opportunity to promote further for probably several years. And so I just started to put my feelers out to other agencies to see if there was some sort of promotional opportunity that that I could um, jump on board with. And it just turned out that Los Gatos was looking for a captain. And um, it was a smaller department, but very similar demographic. Um, very well-educated, very engaged community, um, certainly a smaller community from, you know, 90,000 to, you know, I think it was a 25,000 at the time mm-hmm. um, as far as the population. But um, so very similar uh, as far as the engagement and the expectations of really professional and solid law enforcement. So I, I felt like I was able to do a lot more as a captain in a smaller agency. I, I had to be kind of a uh, Jill of all trades, because we just didn't have the resources and the, you know, the staffing to do every single thing. Um, so I just, I had a great time. I was able to do a lot of really fun things in Los Gatos and, and meet the community who were really, really special and very supportive of the police department, which wasn't necessarily the same in Palo Alto for a lot of different reasons, but, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was just a really kind of eye opening experience to be able to do a lot of different things in the 11 years I was there. Oh, that sounds neat. Um, what do you consider to be the biggest turning point in your career? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think. Probably the biggest turning point that, that actually leapfrogged me into the private sector and also just being able to do a lot of different things and travel for business, et cetera, was my mentor that I had at Los Gatos PD. And he's still a very good friend. And uh, he was my chief at the time. And he just really opened my eyes to the abilities of uh, what other people could do and how they could help me. Um, he was a huge relationship builder. Um, he got me out of my comfort zone as far as you know, meeting people, networking a lot more, and being really strategic about um, you know, having other champions and coaches and mentors to help me along my journey, which in turn, I share that with anybody who wants it, um, male, female, but certainly I, I gravitate more towards helping women and young girls get into the profession or at least be interested in it. And so I do a lot of coaching on the side. I've done that for a long time, um, getting, you know, helping people achieve what their next step is, uh, whether it's, within law enforcement or transitioning out and and doing whatever next dream job or next career they want to do. So I think it's really just about the the mentoring piece and the connection and how important relationships are. How do you I want to ask this as sort of a two-part question. How did you find your mentor? How did he become your mentor? And how did you develop that relationship with, with the the mentor of Oscaros that you were talking about? Well, I think it was partly because, I mean, he was my coach because he was my immediate manager. And so I was, you know, his second in command, really. And so there was that natural relationship. But also, we, uh, after I left law enforcement, he continued and still continues to be my mentor. So I just, I, I just go 
whenever I have an issue or a question, I just go back at him and say, help me through this. Help me understand it better. Um, give me a different perspective. So it was kind of a natural um, relationship, but it just blossomed over time because he was so giving of his knowledge and his expertise and his viewpoint, which was always very measured and and thoughtful. And he helped me be more of that because I I tended to be very tactical, very, you know, head down, get the work done. But he opened my aperture as far as how important it, it was to build relationships and to slow down and um, really understand the work I was doing rather than just doing the work, if that makes sense. And then the second part of the question, because I, I feel like it's important to to get this from both perspectives, is how do you now find mentees, people to work with? Did, did they come to you? Is it is it through some sort of organizational structure? How do you find them? Well, I think it, a couple different ways. Like I think word of mouth is that I'm almost always 99% uh, willing to help anybody who wants to call me or set up time. And so I get a lot of referrals just from friends and colleagues and family uh, to talk to whoever, you know, their brother, their cousin, their sister, their their daughter, whomever. And so it's it's a little bit word of mouth, but it's also, you know, establishing the Women Leaders in Law Enforcement um, Symposium that I started, uh, co-founded with um, a good friend of mine back in 2006, and actually it dates before then, but in 2006, it was picked up by the California Police Chiefs Association as an initiative that's carried on, you know, all these years. And, um, you know, we started with 200 people attending the symposium. And I think this year we've sold out um, for the September symposium with 1500 people. So along that process over those years, you know, being involved in that setting up the, the whole structure and the speakers and being involved in the planning committee, it just naturally provided an opportunity for me to be open to anybody who wanted to reach out and, you know, pick my brain about things or, you know, cry on my shoulder about the issues that they were dealing with at the time in their police department. So um, it's just kind of twofold that way. And then I've also been involved in other nonprofits, which gives me a whole nother um, group of people, you know, outside law enforcement and security to, to, you know, help champion and mentor. And so a lot of different angles, I think. I, I just think it's so important that, first of all, the value of mentorship and, and, you know, I've heard this in, in a couple of conversations we've had on, on this podcast, um, but it's often difficult to figure out how to get started. And, and so so the details that you're sharing here are very helpful. And I want to ask a follow-up question about the um, the California Women Leaders and Law Enforcement Symposium. So it sounds like you you may be at capacity for September, but but what who who is it open to and what's it geared towards? It sounds like a, a fascinating opportunity to learn more about this industry. Yeah, it's open to uh, anyone. It's not just women, but anyone in uh, law enforcement, active law enforcement, and retirees can also attend. We have a lot of uh, you know old school folks who started to come many, many years ago, including myself, uh, I still attend when I can. And um, so it's open to, you know, local, uh, state, federal, special district, law enforcement, um, including also obviously professional staff. So dispatchers and records supervisors and you name it. Um, And we've, we've branched out beyond California. We've had people from Arizona and Utah and Washington and, and Oregon now. And so we really want to, we're, we're trying just to open up the floodgates and, and allow anybody who wants to come 
uh, to join us in California every year. So um, it's it's just been one of the proudest accomplishments in my career was to establish this and have it still be so successful. It is an incredible initiative. Um, it, was this? I, I know you said you you worked with others to start it, but where did it? Where did the idea come from? So the the funny story is is this really started on a coffee napkin uh, over a cup <laughs> of coffee um, with my with my best friend uh, Lacey, who we worked together from you know she joined Palo Alto six months uh, before I did, and after a couple of years we we just decided that it was time to kind of game out how do we support each other how do we involve other women in the other agencies that we you know were surrounded by to just provide a level of support and um, training and mentoring and just having a conversation over what are the struggles and trials of tribulations of being in, in a woman in law enforcement in the 1980s. And that's really how it all started was just kind of talking about, well, how do we get everybody together? It's like, okay, well, back in those days, we had Rolodexes. So we looked through our Rolodex. <laughs> and, I remember those days. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and just started calling people and saying, hey, we're getting together at this hotel bar in downtown Palo Alto on this, on this evening from this time to this time. And we, you know, we paid out of pocket for it. We bought snacks, we, you know, had cocktails and we, there's like 20 of us. And I think that was in 1987, maybe. And, um, that's really the root of how it started. And everybody was so excited about just getting together. And we all realized these common themes that we were experiencing in law enforcement and just, you know, just the level of support um, grew into relationship building and connection and um, inspiration and it just kept going. And, and, you know, life goes on. So we, we couldn't do that every year. So there were definitely, you know, years of, uh, or times that went by and we just couldn't get anybody together. And then we kind of started it up again in earnest in 2004. And we had a panel of female police chiefs and, you know, we, we had a waiting list. And the funny story was that even though we had a waiting list, we had people show up at the door of this restaurant and say, you know, we want in. And we're like, you guys can't come in. You're, we have a waiting list. And they're like, we won't eat. We won't drink. We'll just come in. We'll stand. We don't even have to sit. Please let us in. And we realized in that moment that the level of need that there was out there for women to be together and just have, you know, have storytelling and just, you know, support each other. And so that's where it really started was in 2004. And then we had another one the next year. And then 2006, the, the Chiefs Association picked us up and said, we like your initiative. Let's let's make it statewide. And we said, OK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That is such a great story because it really shows the power of a grassroots initiative that you it really started out as, hey, let's just get together and spend some time together and swap stories and you're getting together with your, your 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 friends, your colleagues who are in the same field, but it really tapped into a need. It seems like it just in terms of you know what <laughs> that women, especially in in law enforcement and security, and and I and I come at this from from my background in federal law enforcement that um, that the women serving in the sworn ranks were were so as such a smaller percentage than the men serving in the same area. So that sometimes you'd have women in a field office where they were the only one or just one of two. And, and to kind of look to 
establishing those those informal mentorships like you were talking about or establishing just some connection with people who have walked the walk that you're trying to now navigate and and can commiserate around all kinds of things. I, I just see such, such incredible value in what you created and love the fact that it started out just as a small idea. Just let's get together and and have some colleagueship and and some snacks. And, <laughs> and then you had that the demand for the standing room only. I, I love it. <laughs> right. And and the other thing I'll add is that, you know, we Lacey and I at Palo Alto, you know, we had a really uh we had our issues, of course, with with challenges and drama there. But for the most part, the culture was the the chief that hired us both was very pro women and he wanted a, a 50 50 department he wanted males and females 50 50 even and he you know he never achieved that and and it hasn't gotten to that point but but what it did create was a culture of women in leadership positions uh 20 to 25% uh women within the organization and so we had you know we had lieutenants we had sergeants we had a, a female captain at the time so we had a lot of support in that regard but what we found was and, you know, and we thought we were pretty lucky. And then we talked to a woman, to your point, a woman at another agency that was smaller and she was the only one or there were two or whatever. And that that's where we saw the need, right? Because we're all happy go lucky because we're 20% women and we have all this support. And then we hear these horror stories from these other women from smaller departments. Um, and it was just like, whoa. We, and, and that's why I think, it, you know, people were knocking down the door literally to come in and, and be involved because they needed the help and they they needed the support and the guidance. And that's that was the cool thing that came out of it. Well, and it sounds like what your foundation now, your symposium did was give people a, a place for that colleagueship, especially from those smaller departments when they didn't have it, didn't have it in house necessarily, but they could still access that same level of connection and advice and commiseration just from outside their department, but, but still within the industry. It's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even now, unfortunately, you know, in the two thousands and here we are in 2023, we still hear similar stories of challenges um, that we heard in the 1980s and nineties. And it's, so it's really, it does provide an opportunity and a forum for people who are really struggling to get some much needed support. So, yeah, it's kind of sad that we are still having some of these conversations, but at least there's support there. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In a world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That's why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in the security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis for some of the industry's top practitioners. Define blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Let me pivot for a minute. I want to talk to you about sort of um, 
the value of security teams and especially now in, in your in your corporate security role and, and the roles you've had over the past eleven years, um, that working in in teams and sort of cross functional, multidisciplinary, just building teams within a, a an organization, a private security endeavor can be incredibly helpful and incredibly it, it can bring incredible value to the organization, but showing it just demonstrating that value can be incredibly tough. And I want to get your take on how have you accomplished this or how what efforts do you undertake to try to demonstrate that value within the positions that you have now or the ones you've held? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've really tried to do when I first enter any organization is just, you know, again, build those relationships, find the right people to talk to, who's in charge of what, but also who are the team players that have you know, the, the real leadership qualities that you can tell or the people that get things done or has, you know, the leadership's ear or whatever, kind of seeking out those right people to get by your side and, you know, have a, have a lunch, have a coffee and just have a discussion about what I and what my team can bring to the table. And then also asking, I always ask everybody when I first meet them, what are your pain points with uh, global safety and security or the security team, depending on where I, I was? Um, and usually people are, at first are a little reticent to say, and then, you know, it's it's through the conversation that I, that I tell them, look, I really want to know, like, it's not like you're going to point fingers or talk bad. I just want to make things better. So how can we make things better? How can we improve? And I think having those initial conversations with folks is helpful to set the stage for what my next step is with the team and then have the conversation with the team and say, okay, what do you all think? And just having that back and forth dialogue is, is important initially. I also think that, you know, anytime I can get visibility to leadership in different business units, um, have a win, you know, small wins here and there, make a phone call where I know that someone might be in an, in a situation or an area where there's something going on that might be threatening or, you know, whatever, like, but making that kind of personal touch. And, and one thing that's, I think, unique about Intuit is we, we are very hands-on with our, with our people. And, um, you know, we track, we don't track, but we, we keep tabs on everybody's home location and what's going on across the globe. And when, we're able to reach out to 10 people in an area where there was a tornado that just happened and make, you know, conversation with them. That's a huge win for our team. And that's, you know, they're going to tell that story. It's like when you have a bad customer experience, you're, you know, you're going to tell that story over and over again. But in this situation, if they have a good experience, they're going to tell some people. And then that just gives us a little more cachet, a little more, um, you know, standing in the organization to say, hey, global safety and security, they've, they've got it together. And they're willing to, to acknowledge their gaps and acknowledge our pain points with them. And so just being really open and honest, I think, is, is the main point of my very long answer to your question. <laughs> and then translating that into advice that you would give to other teams, like what are, what are the top couple of things that they can do trying to demonstrate that value to? Well, I think uh, a couple things. So but we're very heavy into it in, in other organizations I've been in where, you know, data really drives the conversation. And so I think any sort of data points or storytelling, uh, very much into storytelling it into it as well, um, to tell the stories that I just mentioned to 
to let people know exactly what's going on. Uh, we also recently started to, as people started to come back to work, I would take people through our global security operations center and just let them see what we do behind the scenes because people really don't have a, an understanding of how much work we do to keep them safe behind the scenes. And so when they walk into that room and they see all the monitors and they see all the people and all the activity, and I explain what we're doing and how we keep them safe, that is a huge win. And they walk away with their eyes open and they're like, wow, I had no idea you guys did all this. And it's like, yes, we do this all the time. And please tell 10 friends. Right. <laughs> we're, right, right, right. This is what we do. <laughs> I feel like that's a, your your approach to this is it feels highly personal. I mean, I know you're dealing in volume, but it sounds like through those examples, you're making connections with individuals as and yourself as an individual. It's not, hey, call our department, call the the you know global operations center. It's it, it they're they're calling you or calling one of your one of your team members. It sounds like you you've been able to introduce a real personal touch to to the safety and security that you're providing. Yes. And that's, that's certainly what I have tried to do in, in my career in the private sector. It's not always been easy. Like um, some of the other companies I've worked for are really big. Um, others are smaller. So like, for example, at Pixar, you know, my whole team, they were employees. We didn't contract out our security team. And so there was a real buy-in and a real sense of culture and family and belonging at Pixar. And so there was this just kind of initial level of trust that occurred. Now, you can't have that in every every company, of course, or every security team. But I took that kind of structure and, and the value behind it from Pixar and tried to implement it in, you know, at Oracle and now at Intuit as well. Well, and and it seems like that. Um, that personal connection, the individual relationships, just you're reaching out to those, you know, the handful of employees impacted by a, a tornado or doing the, the behind the scenes tours that you're doing are um, they're creating experiences and memories for the people that you are keeping safe. Um, and it's not just it's not just a matter of here. Let me show you our our <laughs> our, our budget outlays and how much more we've had to spend on you all. It's it's person to person and we're all in this together. And, and I just feel like it's a, a great way for you to be demonstrating everything that goes into keeping the organization and keeping employees safe with a really um, human element to it. It's, it's not, you know, it's not the, the software. It's not the, you know, kind of hardening the target. You may well be doing that. But bringing that personal element, I think, is um, it's a it's it's an intangible, but I, I can see it bring such incredible value to what you're doing. Um, we had a, uh, a there was a story I heard during COVID of um, a corporate security department where everyone was working. You know, people are now working at home, and so there aren't the facilities for them to protect, and so they they had more time on their hands. They were physically in the offices, but everyone else was working from home, and and. They started to get individual questions here and there about you know, what sort of home security system should I be looking into? I don't know anything about home security, but I think maybe a, you know, a video doorbell or what should I be doing? So they started to make these little short videos. And I think they maybe created a, a YouTube channel or they just sent it out to their company where it was like, hey, let's let's compare this uh, video doorbell vendor to that video doorbell vendor and how how what 
benefits do you get? How easy are they to install? Why would you want it? What do you need to think about? And so it was not not directly within their scope of responsibility for providing physical security to their headquarters, their facilities, but it made them approachable as human beings. And so employees got to know the individuals who were making those videos by their first name rather than, hey, let me call the security department. And they have talked about how they've seen an immense benefit of that humanizing aspect of, hey, you're that guy in the video. <laughs> and I bought that ring, you know, I bought that doorbell and it was really helpful. Um, so, so, so it becomes becomes the people in security and not just kind of the the, the face and the name of, of a security department. Exactly. Exactly. And really, I mean, it all boils down to relationships and and how important those are. Um, and I'll, I'll just add that, you know, sometimes we, we do mess up and we we make a mistake in our messaging or something that happens. And I think one of the things that we are willing to do, and certainly I'm willing to do, is to sit back and and say, you know what, you're right, that was a miss, um, and let's talk about it. And making, again, that personal connection, we we sent out a message on an issue just a couple of weeks ago where we uh, it was perceived by a few people as not being very sensitive. So it just so happened those two people worked in the, our San Francisco office, and so I made contact with them and just said, hey, here's where we were coming from. I absolutely understand your perspective. I share your your belief in this particular situation. And this is why we do what we do and why we do it. But I want you to understand that I have empathy around your concern and the way we came across. And that in and of itself was just like, they were, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I never expected you guys to respond and I really appreciate it. So it's also important to, when you make a mistake, just to own it and say, you know what? Um, you're right. But also explain in the moment the rationale and the understanding and, and the reason why we as security professionals do what we do and and why we do it and how we do it. Because sometimes people just don't understand that because they don't have the exposure to it. So I think it's just important to be really honest when you when you trip up too. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's such an incredible example of the, the it sounds like the immediate kind of recognition from person that you were talking with around, oh, now I understand some rationale behind it. And it's, you're, you, you're both on the same side instead of a, why did they communicate this way? And why don't they understand? Or what are they doing to me? It's a, that's a great example. Well, let me, um, let me turn to our last area. As I started out at the beginning, talking about ways to encourage women and you know, mid-career, women just getting into, just starting their careers, uh, girls in high school, girls in middle school, ways that we can encourage them to join the field of whether it's law enforcement or security or or protection. I'd love to get your advice on ways that we can do that and, and what you would, what you, what you would say or what you do say to uh, girls and young women and women about getting into these fields. Yeah, that's, that's such a, I mean, there's so many things that are swirling around in my head, but, you know, one of the things that I, that I believe is really important is to, you know, be that role model, whether you're in law enforcement or security. And when you see a, a group of young women or girls or a person or, you know, someone like you said, who may be wanting to pivot their career and do something different, just being a really solid professional 
competent role models so that they can see that, um, you know, they can be successful and then kind of just wrapping your arms around, um, those women and girls who want to get into the profession and, and just be helpful. And one of the things that, again, I think that I was just ingrained with is, is to help people in any way you can with whatever they need. And so I think it's just important to have, um, an opportunity to get into high schools, get into colleges, get into, um, you know, the starting women in law enforcement, starting these women in security initiatives, um, just getting out there and talking to people. And then also, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing with um, the Women Leaders in Law Enforcement Foundation, which was established last year, is that we wanted to provide year-round training, mentorship opportunities for women. But one of the things that we're creating is a scholarship so that we can you know, bring a, a young girl or a young woman into the profession, pay for her academy experience, pay for her, um, you know, maybe a certificate or something. We're still working it out, but providing those scholarships and opportunities to come into the profession a little bit easier, right? Without having all that stress about how am I going to pay for this? What does it look like? So that's one way that we're doing it. Um, but I think just, you know, establishing these groups of, of women who are already established and and having them reach out. We have a huge mentorship program within the foundation now, and that's how we're reaching into, you know, the the women and, and the girls who maybe want to get into the profession. And that's that's one example, but just being available and being open to talking to any group who wants to invite you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. It's it's interesting because I think about um I think about exposing like getting a chance to talk directly to high school students and middle school students because you know, as adults we often ask, What do you want to be when you grow up? And 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 looking back to when I was asked that question centuries ago, it I only knew about a sort of a handful of professions, things I had seen on TV, things my my parents' friends did. And law enforcement wasn't one of them. And I sort of fell into it. And so many women I've talked to kind of fell into a career in law enforcement. Or just like with your experience, they had relatives who worked in it. So that it was a much more familiar job and and, and public service sector than than it is for people who don't have that same that same opportunity for exposure. Um, but I just feel like the, the younger we can we can start showcasing to girls uh, all these different things they can do within this very broad field um just get encouraged much much more of them to come join us well and and we also need to say how much we need them in the profession right i mean i think that we bring so much to the table um you know i'll pat all of ourselves on the back we we bring a lot to the table as far as the way that we think and you know, just our approach to things might be a little bit different. Um, and not to say that I didn't learn a ton of, you know, great, great things from my male colleagues and partners and mentors. I certainly did. But I think we just bring a special kind of approach to to law enforcement and to security. And um, so that's we just need more of us in the profession. And unfortunately, given given the times we're in in the last three or four years has been really, really tough and it's hard and it's harder now to recruit into our professions. And, and I think we could, we can argue that now more than ever, we need more women to be coming into this field. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up that we didn't have a chance to discuss yet? You know, one of the things I'll emphasize is, again, just finding those those mentors and those champions and building the relationships uh, is so important. I, I didn't get to any promotion, any position in my private sector career without the benefit of a relationship or a connection that I cultivated. And that's just, it's just super, super important. And then also just being willing to um, be helpful for anyone who reaches out for questions or wants to benchmark or wants to ask you, you know, whatever questions about your programs or how you approach things or can I steal your policy? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly <Being> right. <laughs> just like, let's yep. not invent the wheel, right? So uh, just being really open and, and thoughtful about helping people when they ask, I think is just really, really important. Elena, this has been such a pleasure having a chance to talk with you, to hear about all the work you're doing, both within your job and the incredible volunteer efforts that that you have spearheaded and, and continue to be a force behind. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Roll the Dice and was written by Mark Wallach. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcasts at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening. <laughs>